This is Salon Mix, featuring the people, trends, phenomena, and experiences that define and inform our lives and culture. I'm Salon's managing editor, Erin Keene. It's been more than 44 years since the Supreme Court's landmark decision in Roe v. Wade. Yet with the exception of Maud's groundbreaking choice in 1972, television for decades still all but ignored the topic of abortion. In the past few years, however, primetime has delivered an unprecedented number of plot lines that don't end up with a controversy-deflecting miscarriage or a ratings-baiting baby. Recently, Salon's Mary Elizabeth Williams talked via Skype with sociologist Gresham Sisson. Dr. Sisson is one of the lead investigators of the Abortion On-Screen Research Program at the University of California, San Francisco, which studies and analyzes the ways in which abortion has been depicted in fictional television and film over the past century. She and Mary Elizabeth discuss abortion's progress on TV, how the topic has gone from very special episode status to at last coming of age on shows like Scandal, Jane the Virgin, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. What we've seen in the past two years that's really different is a focus on using abortion in stories that are really about something else. So for example, on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the episode that was in November, Paula gets pregnant and she's just been accepted into law school. She's been a paralegal forever. And this is sort of her moment. And the unexpected pregnancy puts her in crisis to make that decision about her future career trajectory. We see very little of her decision. We don't learn that she's decided to have an abortion until after the abortion. And then we just learn about it through a joke that her son makes when the doorbell rings. Since you just had an abortion. You're a good son, Brendan. You know, and it's sort of that lighthearted moment. The story isn't really even about the abortion. The story is about Paula, you know, deciding what she can share with her friend when, deciding how important her career is, is, is being a lawyer really a calling for her. And when she realizes that she really has an aptitude and passion for this, you know, that's when the, the pregnancy is no longer an important part of her future. That, that's different from what we've seen before. Same on Jane the Virgin, where we don't learn that Ziamara's had an abortion until, you know, it's disclosed that she had stomach cramps six weeks ago because she had an abortion and she needs to decide how to tell her mother. And interestingly, I think Ziamara is the second grandmother to have an abortion on TV after Maud. Oh, really? <laughs> I think I think they're the only two grandmothers to get oh. abortions on TV. We study um, mothers who get abortions are underrepresented on TV in general. And there have been more of those recently. Again, sort of this, this shift in, in, in the demographics of characters that are getting abortions. So we've seen more mothers, but I think, I think Maud and Ziamara are the only grandmothers that we've seen getting abortions. Um, she's also one of the uh, very few Latina women women who have gotten abortions on, on primetime television, the first primary protagonist who's Latina to get an abortion. So, you know, changing in a lot of ways as far as the demographics of who's getting abortions of why women are getting abortions, as well as how the abortion decision is used narratively um, within the context of the episode. What's the point of including the abortion? I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I love both of those shows that you cited so much. And it was fascinating to me because I, I really just assumed it with both shows that they were going to use the pregnancies mm-hmm. and go forward with them based on everything we knew about these characters in the past and about these shows. And then for these characters to have abortions, it made perfect sense. 
but it was so unusual to see that in television mm -hmm. and to see it depicted as, of course, if you know these women and you know their situations, of course, that's what they would do. If you know television, it's surpri It's pleasantly surprising. Right. I mean, we sort of talked about game changers, um, and I, I think Obvious Child was a game changer. I think the other big shift has been Shonda Rhimes, and I think that her increasing commitment to portraying abortion on, on Grey's Anatomy, on private practice, in Scandal, has really changed the game in a lot of ways. It's not necessarily surprising when we see abortion on an H show on HBO, right? <laughs> it's not necessarily surprising when we see it on on Amazon or Netflix or sort of these more like niche outlets. I mean, they're not really niche outlets anymore. They're becoming a bigger and bigger part of our, you know, media content diet. But as far as actually including abortion on primetime network television, I think that Shonda Rhimes really shifted the way people are thinking about being able to include that. So I think that, that that's been a big change, an important one. It's very unusual for a show's first mention of an abortion to be a character getting an abortion, right? So Jane the Virgin has had conversations about abortion with Jane's pregnancy and Petra's pregnancies. They brought it up as a topic before and sort of laid the groundwork for this is something that we are going to talk about and maybe even joke about within the universe of this show. And then now here's a character who's actually going to have an abortion. And that happened the same on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Christina has a pregnancy. She plans an abortion. She schedules one. It turns out to be an ectopic pregnancy. She has the ectopic pregnancy removal. Then several seasons later, she gets pregnant again um, and actually goes through with the abortion. And then we see... Addison Montgomery as the provider on Grey's Anatomy and then even more prominently as a provider several times in private practice. And she even makes several speeches about how important it is for her to be a provider and how there are only 1,700 abortion providers in the United States and I'm one of them, you know, as she's walking into the operating room. And then we see on Scandal, you know, first Olivia helps a character get an abortion and then Olivia herself gets an abortion. And those abortions were both shown on screen. The, some of the first times the abortion procedure has been portrayed on screen. Usually it's cut away. There was an abortion shown on House several years ago, but it was shown as an abdominal surgery, almost like a C-section. Right. Whereas on Scandal, it was portrayed pretty accurately. Now, it was set in an ambulatory surgical center, not a clinic where most abortions happen, you know, so she had the hairnet and she's in an operating room, but they, you know, they show the aspiration machine. You see the doctor at work. I mean, that's, that's really novel stuff that we saw in 2015 that we hadn't before. And I think that that sort of broke a lot of barriers for some of these new types of stories that we've seen in 2016. It seems to me that then what is happening, like there, there's that level of kind of getting the audience on board with these ideas. Mm -hmm. And that first level is, can characters even have conversations about abortions? And the same with girls, like people are having conversations about abortion before right. anybody actually has an abortion. And that's kind of where 15 years ago, Sex and the City left it. You mm -hmm. knew that two of the women had had abortions in the past, but then when it comes time for one of them, to make a choice, ultimately she decides not to have an abortion. Right. It's okay to say that um, that, to, that you know that Carrie and Samantha had had abortions in mm -hmm. the past, but it would not have at that point been okay for Miranda to have an abortion. 
Right. So, so really anything that we sort of talk about as far as what this means as a cultural shift or changing people's opinions is a little bit speculative at this point. It's really hard to change people's minds about abortion. People have really closely held beliefs about abortion and they might say, well, it's okay that Paula got an abortion. Um, it's okay that Zoe got an abortion, these characters that I care about, but like maybe it's, maybe, maybe those circumstances don't apply to, to other women or to real women or that's fictional or we don't know how representative that is. And it'll be interesting to see the extent to which that changes. Now, that being said, it, it has to have some impact if we continue seeing this, this trend and these new types of plot lines in more prominent shows. Even if it's not necessarily, you know, changing people's beliefs, it is in some ways correcting misinformation. A lot of people believe things that are true about abortion that are not, you know, sort of factually. Like they believe that abortion is very dangerous. They believe that abortion contributes to breast cancer. Um, you know, they, they have misunderstandings about medication abortion. And just as far as like the medical truths of the procedure, even if they are offended or taken aback or not sure how they feel about seeing an abortion on, on their favorite show, Jane the Virgin, you know, they still see that she got a medication abortion you know, she's fine. She's healthy. There, nothing bad happened to her. And, and in a way, that's an accurate portrayal. And, and to the, the extent to which a fictional portrayal can correct actual misinformation will be interesting to study. And, and on the other hand, though, we still see a lot of dangerous abortions on TV. And, and again, not all dangerous abortions are necessarily poorly intentioned. Like we see dangerous abortions, for example, on Call the Midwife, which is a show that I love, a show that I think a lot of feminists love. It focuses very squarely on women, both as mothers and um, as part of their community and as professionals at, at that moment in history, which is post-war London. And it shows a lot of dangerous abortions at a time when abortion probably was pretty dangerous. But how does that get translated into people's current understandings of what abortion looks like? Uh, if it, the abortion has to happen in a hospital or it can't be safely self-induced or, you know, there are repercussions for that. Even if the content creators might be trying to build a commentary or a narrative around how dangerous illegal abortion is, for some viewers, the message might be, well, this abortion is dangerous and, right. and sort of stop there. So we don't know what the impact will be and whether the impact will match what the creator's intention was. I'm not too hopeful just because I know how difficult culture change around abortion is, but it's still exciting to see. We, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to look at that before because there haven't been, there hasn't been this diversity of stories out there. So now that it's out there, it at least gives us something to look at in more detail. That's the hope. Um, yeah, that's that's the hope. As as a mom of older girls, uh, it's it's at least encouraging to me that they can see that that characters they like um, have mm -hmm. these experiences and that this can be part of of normal life. Um, well, and then it can it can prompt conversations within families and within communities. You know, the the the, the content that's on screen doesn't necessarily stop on screen. Hundred percent, right? And and. My hope is that just having kind of representation of normal human experiences takes them away from being something that is shameful and something that no one can talk about and you're not supposed to talk about it and it's supposed to be a big secret and there's so much power in secrecy.
There's so much power in shame. And right. even being able to have something streamed into your home that still gets advertisers, um, you know, that is still kind of bookended between, you know, superhero shows on the CW um, is feels really good and positive. I hope. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm. We'll see. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it. I can't imagine that it hurts. Right. right? <laughs> you know, it's when we look at abortion access, we're anticipating taking a lot of steps backwards over the next several years. Um, and this gives us one area where we have a reason to believe we can make additional progress. So if nothing else, it gives us that. Yeah. I'll take hope wherever I can find it in, in the long, in the long road and the long struggle. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so, so much for talking to me uh, and giving me some context for, for all of these stories and putting this, um, you know, in its, in its moment right now in history. That was Salon's Mary Elizabeth Williams speaking with sociologist Gresham Sisson of UCSF. Read more on this story and watch a video interview with feminist author Jill Filipovich, all at salon.com. We've just launched our podcast feed on iTunes. We invite you to subscribe and please leave us a review. You know the drill. The Salon Mix team is executive producer Lauren Schiller with audio mixing and editing by Ashley Ann Krigbaum. And I'm Erin Keene, your host, managing editor at Salon. Thanks for listening.